Marley's ghost. Marley was dead to begin with. There was no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the children milner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon. Change for anything he chose to put in his hand. To Oh Molly was as dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know, to my knowledge, what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffinil as the deadliest piece of ivory in a trade. But the wisdom of my ancestors in the smut in the smolly and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it, or the country's done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat effectively that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead. Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor. His sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole registrar and adjunct, his sole friend, his sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not dreadfully cut up by the sad event. But what he was as excellent as the man of business on a very dangerous funeral, and summarised it with an undoubtful bargain. The mention of Marley's funeral brings back, back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood. Or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. If, if they were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began, then there would be nothing more remarkable than his, his taking a stroll at night in an easterly wind upon his own ramparts, when there would be in any other midway's gentleman rushing the turning out of the dark in brazy spot, say, Simp. Paul's churchyard, Vincent, literally to astonish, monish his boy's, his son's weak mind. Scrooge never painted out Most Marley's name. There it stood, years afterwards, above the warehouse door. Scrooge and Marley, the firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge, Scrooge, and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was tight-fisted hand at, at a grindstone. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, conventious old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, for whom no steel would ever struck out generously by a secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his great gate, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice, a frosty rhyme on his head, and on his eyebrows, and his winery chin, he carried his own low temperature, away always about him, he iced his cough office in the dark days, and didn't fall it one degree at Christmas. Eternal heat and cold had no little influence on Scrooge. No warmth would be could warm. No winter weather could chill him. No wind that blew was bitter than him. No falling snow was more intent upon his purpose. No pelting rain less open to entering. Foul weather didn't know where to have him. There is rain, snow, and hell, and sleet. 
could boast of an advantage of him in only one respect they often came down handsomely and scrooge never did nobody ever stopped him in the street to say the gladsome looks oh my dear scrooge how are you when will you come and see me no beggars implored him to bestow a trifle no children asked him what was what it was o'clock no man or woman ever ever once in all his life inquired the way to which such and such a place well scrooge even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him and when they saw him coming on would tug their owners into the doorways up the courts and would wag their tails and as though to say said no he is no he at all he's better than an evil we dear dark master when what what, what did scrooge care it was the very thing he liked to edge his way along the crowded paths of life, wanting all the human sympathy to keep his distance with what the knowing ones called nuts to Scrooge. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was a cold, bleak, lip-biting weather, foggy with the dell, and he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stamping their feet upon the pavement stones to warm them the city clocks had just gone free but it's quite dark already it was it was, had not been light for day all day the candle was flaring in the window windows of the neighbour's office like ruddy smears upon a pad of brown air a fog came pouring in every chink and keyhole and was so dense about that although the court was one of the narrowest the houses opposite were mere phantoms to see the dingy cloud come drooping down obscuring everything one might have thought that nature lived hard by and was brewing on a large scale the door of scrooge's counting-house was open he might keep his eye upon his clerk who, in a dismal little cell beyond a sort of tank, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so much smaller. It looked like one coal. He couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room, and surely as the clerk came in with a shovel, the master predicted it would be necessary for them to part. Therefore the clerk put on a his quite confident, and tried to warm himself at the candle. In which effort not to bring a man with strong imagination, he failed. Merry Christmas, Uncle! Oh, good, good, God save you! cried a cheerful voice. It was a voice of no Scrooge and Nephew, who came upon him so quickly that, that this was the first invitation he had of, of his approach. Bah! said Scrooge. Ambag! He so heeded out himself. A rapid walking in the fog and frost, his nephew was Scrooge, that he was all in a glow. His face was ruddy and handsome, his eyes sparkled, his breath smoked again. Christmas, humbug, uh, uncle, said Scrooge's nephew. You don't mean that, I am sure. I do, said Scrooge. Merry Christmas. What a right have you to be merry? What reason have I, have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come on then, replied the Grove What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be more morose? You're rich enough, Scrooge. 
for any answer really ready better answer ready to spur the moment ah again I followed up with humbug don't be cross uncle said the nephew what else can I be replied the uncle uncle. when I live in such a world of fools as this Merry Christmas out upon a Merry Christmas what a Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money a time for finding yourself a year older not an hour richer a time for balancing your books and having every item in them through around a dozen of months presented dead against you if I could work my will said Scrooge indignantly every idiot who goes about with you with Merry Christmas on his lips would be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly for his heart he should uncle nephew nephew replied the uncle sternly keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine keep it replied Scrooge's nephew but you don't keep it leave me alone then said Scrooge much good may I do may it do to you much good it would ever do you there are many things from which I might have derived good by which I have not profited, I dare say, replied the nephew. Christmas among the rest, but I am sure I've always thought of Christmas time, when it was come round, apart from the venture due with its sacred name and origin. If anything belonging to it there can be, apart from that, as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time, the only time I knew of in a long calendar of the year, when men and women seemed to be one consent to open their eyes shut up hearts freely and to think of people below them as they really were fellow passengers of the grave and not another race of fit creatures bound on other journeys therefore uncle though it may it was never part of a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket i believed that it was good done me good and will do me good and i say god bless it the car can tank involuntarily applauded becoming immediately sensible to the improper barbarity, he poked the fire and extinguished the last frail spark forever. Let me hear another. Let, let me hear another sound from you," said Scrooge, "and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir," she, he added. Said his nephew, "I wonder why you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come dine with us tomorrow." Scrooge said he would see him yes indeed he did he went to the whole length of expression and said he would see him in extremely first but why cried scrooge his nephew why why did you get married said scrooge because i I fell in love because you fell in love said scrooge as if there was only one thing in the world more ridiculous than a merry christmas good afternoon nay uncle you never came to meet see me before that happened why give it a reason for not coming now good afternoon said scrooge i want for nothing for you i want nothing for you why cannot you can why cannot we be friends good afternoon said scrooge i am sorry for your with, with your heart or heart to find you so resolute we never had any quarrel which i've been a party but i have made a, a trial and i to christmas i'll keep my christmas in to the last so a merry christmas uncle good afternoon said scrooge and a happy new year good afternoon said scrooge his nephew left the room without any an angry word notwithstanding 
He stopped at the outer door to bestow the greetings. The season on the clock, who cold as it was, was one moment Scrooge. Queen returned him cordially. Here's another fellow, muttered Scrooge, who overheard him. My clerk with fifteen shillings a week, a wife and a family, talking about a merry Christmas. I retired to Bedlam. This lunatic and letting Scrooge's nephew out had let them other two a Two people in, they were portly gentlemen, pleasant to behold, and now stood with their hats off in Scrooge's office. They had books and papers in their hands, bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley, I believe, said one of the gentlemen, referred to his list. Have I the pleasure of just seeing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead for those these seven years, replied Scrooge. Replied, he died seven years ago, at this very night. We have no doubt it's liberty. As well, represented by his surviving partner, said the gentleman, representing presenting credentials. It certainly was for them, for was for they had been two spirits. And the ominous word liberality, Scrooge frowned and shook his head and handed the credentials back. At this festive period, season of the year, Mr. Scrooge said the gentleman, taking out a pen. It is more than usual desirable. We should make some slight provision for the bowl and destitute, who suffer greatly at this present time. Many thousands are in what the common necessaries, hundreds of thousands are what in what the common comforts are. There are no prisons, said Cruz. Plenty of prisons, said the boatman. Gentlemen, laying down the pen again. And the union workhouses, demanded Scrooge. Are they still in operation? They are still, replied Dwinter. I wish I could say that they were not. A treatment with a poor law are still in full figure then, said Scrooge. Both are very busy, sir. Oh, I was afraid from what you said at first. There was something more that had occurred to stop them. Their usual course. Their useful course, said Scrooge. I'm very glad to hear it. Under the impression that the scarcely furnished Christian cheer, or the mind of body, to the multitude, replied the gentleman. A few of us have endeavoured to raise a fund by the force of meat and drink and means of warmth. We, cho- we choose this time because it's time for all the others. We want it want it keenly. The abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing, George Scrooge replied. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge. Since you ask me, and I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't want make marry myself at Christmas. I can't afford to make idle people marry. I want to support this establishment I've mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and would rather die. If they would rather die, says Scrooge, it'd be better to do so. Do it. And increase the surplus population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that. But you might know it, as a gentleman. I've got my I'm not my business, Scrooge returned. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, the gentleman drew Scrooge resumed his labours with an improved vigour and op- opinion of himself and a more facetious temper than usual than was usual for him. Meanwhile, the fog and the darkness thickened, so the people ran about with flaring links, proffering their services to go between houses and carriages and conduct them on their way. An ancient tower of a church 
where the gruff old bell was always peeping slightly down Scrooge out of a coffee window in the wall became invisible and struck the hours of the quarters in the clouds with tremendous vibrations afterwards as if teeth were chattering in a frozen head up there the cold became intense in the main street at the corner of the court some labourers were repairing the gas pipes they had night lighted a kite fire in the blazier round which a party of ragged men and boys were gathered warming their hands and wringing their finger eyes for the great blaze in rapture a white of water plug being left in solitude is overflowing suddenly suddenly sulkily congealed and turned to mist and anthropic ice the brightness of the shots where holly sprigs and berries cracked in the lamp the light and the windows made pale faces ruddy as they passed poulterers and grocer trades became a solid joke a glorious pageant for which it was next to impossible to believe that such bold purpose principles of bargains and sell had anything to do the lord mayor in a stronghold of mighty mansion house gave orders his fifty cooks and butlers keep christmas as a landlord's a landlord manners household should and even a little tailor whom he had fined sorry sittings the previous monday for being drunk and disordered but firstly in the streets stirred up tomorrow's pudding in his goblet while these lean wife and baby sailed out to buy the beef foggler yet and foggier and colder piercing searching biting cold it was a good if the good saint dunstan had not nipped the evil spirit's nose the touch of weather as what that instead of using his familiar weapons then indeed we should have roamed it to lusty purpose the owner of one scant young nose galled and mumbled by the angry, hungry cold as bones and gnawed by dogs stooped down at scrooge's keyhole to regale him with a christmas carol but at the first hand of god bless you merry gentlemen may you thing you this may Scrooge sees the ruler with such energy of action. The singer fled in terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and even more congenial, congenial frost. At length, the hour of shutting of the counting house arrived. With ill will, Scrooge dismounted from his storm and tentatively omitted the fact to spent the clerk in the tank. Whom it sincerely shuffled out his corridor, put on his hat. You'll be want all day tomorrow, I suppose, said Scrooge. It be convenient, sir. It's not convenient, said Scrooge, and it's not fair. Fair. If you, you, if I was to stop you half a crown for it, you think yourself ill used, I'd be bound. Clark smiled faintly. And yet, said Scrooge, you don't think me ill used when I pay you a day's wages for no work. The clerk observed that. It was at once a year. Ah, poor excuse for a man's pocket every twenty fifth of December, said Scrooge, buttoning his great coat to his chin. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here on the early next morning. Clark promised he would, and Scrooge walked out with a growl. The officers closed in twinkling, and the clerk with long ends of his white comforter, dangling and blowing his waist, for he boasted no great coat. Went down the slide on the cornwall, 
at the end of the lane the boys twenty times in order of it being Christmas Eve and men ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could belt to play by uh, by men's buff. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner, his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the papers, newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening, his banker's book, went home to bed. He lived in chambers which once belonged to the deceased partner. His deceased partner, a gloomy suit of clothes, rooms, and lowering pile of building up the yard where he had so had so little business to be, that one could scarcely help fancying he might have run there where it was a young house, playing hide-and-seek with other houses, forgotten on the way out again. It was old enough now and dreary enough for nobody lived in it but Scrooge, others being all let out as offices. The yard was as dark and even as Scrooge, who knew its very every stone was fain to grope with his hands. A fog of frost so hung about the black old gateway in the house that it seemed as if the generous of the dinners Continuous to the weather, sat in a mournful vegetation on the threshold. Now it's a fact, there is nothing at all particular, peculiar, about the knocker on the door, except it was very large. It's also a fact Scrooge hadn't seen it, night and morning, during his whole residence. In that place, also Scrooge has as little of what he called f- fancy about him as any man in the city of London, even including witches in bold word. Corporation, Elderman, a library, let also be born in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley since his last mention of fitness and his manifestation, his so many years dead partner that afternoon. And they let him, any man, they let, and then let any man, explain to me, if he can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, about incoming an intermediate grocer's of, of change, change, not a knocker, said Barley's face. Marley's face is not in impenetrable shadow as the other objects in the yard were, but a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. He's not angry, ferocious, but look, the Scrooge and Marley used to look with ghostly spectacles turned up on its ghostly forehead, the hair was curiously stirred, as if his breath of hot air, though the eyes were not wide were light enough, if perfectly motionless. That is the livid colour made by its terrible horrible made it horrible. But its horror seemed to be, in spite of the facts, face of beyond its control, rather than part of its own explanation expression. As Scrooge fi- looked square fixedly at his phenomenon, it was a knocker again. To say that he was not startled, or that his blood was not conscious of a terrible situation, of which he had been a stranger from infancy, wouldn't be untrue. But he put his hands upon the key, and he was relinquished, turned, turned it steadily, walked in, and lit his candle. He put it pause for a moment in his solution. About before he shut the door, he did look curiously behind him at first. He half expected to be terrified with the sight of Marley's pigtail sticking out into the hall. But there was nothing on the back of the door except the screws and nuts that held the knocker on. So he said, Posh, posh, 
closed it with a bang. The sound resounded throughout the house like thunder. Every room above and every cask and wine merchant's cellars below appeared to have a separate peal of echoes of his own. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by echoes. He fastened the door, walked across the hall, up the stairs, slowly too, trimming the candle as he went. You can, you may talk very, very, very vaguely about driving a coach and six up a good old flight of stairs, or even a brave new act of parliament. But I mean to say, you might have got a purse up that staircase, and have been bullwise with a splinter bar towards the wall, and a door towards the Bassadars, and done it easy. Now, there was plenty of wit for that, and room to spare, which is perhaps the reason why Scrooge thought he saw a locomotive the hearse going on before him in the gent room. Half a dozen gas lights out in the street wouldn't have lit the entry too, entry too well, so you have, may suppose it's pretty dark with, with Scrooge's dip. Up Scrooge went, not carrying a button for what darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. Before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his room to see what was, it was all right. He just he was, had just enough recollection of the fast desire to do that. Spring, sitting room, bedroom, lumber room, as it was should be, nobody under the table, no, nobody under the sofa, a small fire in the grate, spoon and basin ready, a little saucepan of gruel. Scrooge had it cold. He had cold in his head, upon the hob. Nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet, nobody in the dressing around, which was hanging on the suspicious attitude against the wall. Lumber room as usual, old fire guard, old shoes, two fish baskets, washing stand and three legs and a poker. Quite satisfied, he closed his door and locked himself in. Dobber locked himself in, which was not his custom. Thus secured against a surprise, he took off his caveret. Put on his dressing can and slippers, his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. It was a very low fire indeed. Nothing to much on such a bitter night. He was obliged to sit close to it, a brood over it, before he could extract the least sensational warmth from which such a handful of fuel. Fireplaces were old, but one built by some Dutch merchant long ago, paved all round with quaint Dutch tiles, designed to illustrate the most energetics. There are canes and abels, pharaoh daughters, queens of Sheba, agenic messengers, descending through the air on clouds like feather beds, Abraham's bazaars, apostles, putting off in a, to sea in a better boats, hundreds of figures to attract his thoughts, and yet the face of Molly, seven years dead, came in like an ancient prophet's foot. I swallowed up the whole, if even smooth title been a blank at first, with power to shape some pictures on its surface, the disjointed fragments of his faults. There would have been, been a copy of old Magnolia's head on every one. Humbug, said Scrooge, and walked across the room. After several turns, he sent, went down, sat down again, as he threw his head back in the chair. A glance happened to rest upon a bell, disused bell that hung on the wall room and communicated with some purpose. Never got him with a chamber in the highest story of the building. It was a great astonishment, and with a strange, inexplicable dread, 
he looked, he saw the bell begin to swing. It swung so softly in the outset. It scarcely made a sound, but soon it rang out loudly. So did every bell in the house. This might have lasted half a minute, or a minute, but it seemed an hour. The bells ceased as they began together. They were succeeded by a clanging noise, deep down, as if some person were dragging a heavy train over the carpets in the wine cellar's cellar. Scrooge had remembered he had heard that ghosts haunted houses were described as dragging trains. The cell door flew open. With a booming sound, he heard a noise much louder on the floor below, then coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards his door. It's humbug still, said Scrooge. I don't won't believe it. His colour changed though. When, without a pause, it came on through the heavy door, I passed into the room before his eyes. Upon its coming in, a faint dying flame leapt up, as though I as though I cried. I know him him my his ghost and fell again. The same face as the very same Marley, pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights and boots and tassels on leather, latter bristling like his pigtail, his coat shirts and hair upon his head. The chain he drew was clasped about his middle. It was long and wound at him like a tail. It made for Scrooge observed it closely. His cash book, keys, padlocks, ledgers, book reeds, and heavy purses fought to steel. His body was transparent. So that Scrooge, observing him, looking through his waistcoat, could see two buttons in his coat behind. John Scrooge had often heard it said that Marley had no bows, but he never believed it until now. No, not even, not he believed it even now. Though he looked, looked the phantom through and through, he saw nothing, nothing, saw it standing before him, though he felt the chilling influence. Cold, dull-cut eyes, and marked the twi- very texture of folded handkerchiefs bound about his head and chin, which wrapper he had not observed before. He was still incredulous, and fought against his senses. How long, said Scrooge, cursistic and cold as ever, what do you want from me? Much, Molly's voice was no doubt about it. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who are you, then? said Scrooge, raising his voice. You particular, you're particular, for a shade, he is going to say, to a shade, but to substitute his more appropriate. I life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you, can you sit down, asked Scrooge, looking doubtfully on him. I can, do it then. Scrooge asked the question, because he didn't know whether a ghost so transparent might find itself in condition to take a chair I felt in the event of being possible. It might involve the necessary of embarrassing explanation. The ghost sat down on the opposite side of the fireplace. He had been quite used to it. You don't believe in me, answered the ghost. I don't, said the verse. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I don't know, said Scrooge. Why do you doubt your senses? Because, said Scrooge, a little thing or a thing affects you. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheeks. You might be an undressed bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of undone potato. Under underdone potato. There's more, more gravy than a grave. But you, whatever you are, Scrooge was not much of a habit of cracking jokes. Nor did he feel his heart 
by any means waggish then. The whole truth is that he tried to be smart as a means of distracting his own attention and keeping down his terror for the spectre's voice disturbed the very marrow of his bones. Sit staring at those fixed glazed eyes and silence for a moment when played Scrooge felt the first juice with him. There was something very awful too. Spectre's being provided with an infernal atmosphere of his own. Scrooge could not feel it himself, but it was certainly the case, even though for those can't, the ghosts sat perfectly motionless. Its hair and skin were tassels, but still was still agitated, agitated by the hot vapour from its from an oven. You see, said, you, you see this to fit, fit, said Scrooge, turning it quickly to change for uh, for the reason just a sign of wishing, even though it were for a second to divert the vision's stony gaze for himself. I do, replied the ghost. You look at what you're looking at, said Scrooge. Well, I see I see it, said Scrooge, said that standing. Well, returned Scrooge, I put the swallow of this. I've been for the rest of my life days persecuted by a legion of god all of my own creation. Humble bug, I tell you, humbug. And the spirit raised a frightful cry and shook its chin chain with such a dismal and pawning noise that Scrooge held up the tight of the chair to save himself from falling in a swoon. But much, much greater was his horror when he found him taking off the van and it round his head as if there were two more were outdoors. So the lumber jaw dropped down into down its down its breast. Scrooge fell upon his knees and clasped his hands on his face. Mercy, he said, dreadful preparation. Why do you trouble me? Man of the elderly mind, replied the voice. Do you believe in me or not? I do, said Scrooge. I must. But why do spirits uh, all the earth? What are you doing now? Well, returned Scrooge, I have but to swallow this, and for the rest of my days persecuted by religion and goblins. All my young creations, humbug, I tell you, humbug. This spirit raised a fearful cry, shook his train for such a smell and appalling noise that went Scrooge held on tight to his chair to save himself from falling and swoon. But not how much greater was his horror when the phantom taking off the bandage round his face, head. His were too warm to wear alone doors. His lower jaw dropped upon his least. Scrooge fell upon his knees and clasped his hands for his face. Mercy, he said. Dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, said the replied Do you believe in me or not? I do, said Scrooge. I must. But my spirits walk the earth. And why do they come for me? I inquired of every man, said the ghost returned. That a spirit within him should walk abroad along his fellow fellow man and travel far and wide, and as that spirit goes, not full for life or is condoned to do after death, he is doomed to wander through the world. Oh, woe is me, a witness that we cannot share, but must have shared on earth, and turned to happiness, 
Again, the spectre raised a cry and shook its cane and rang its shadow hands. You're fettered, said the Scrooge, trembling. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replied the ghost. I mean it link by link and yard by yard. It girded it on my own free will, and my free will I wrote it. It's the pattern strange to you. It's the pattern that's strange to you. Scrooge trem- trembled more and more. Oh, oh would you know? pursued the ghost. You'll wait the length of strong will. You bear yourself. It's he- full of heavy, as long as it's e- seven, seven Christmas Eve's ago. You have laboured on it. Since it's a pos- pun- pun- ponderous chain, Scrooge glanced about him on the floor. In the explanation of finding himself surrounded by fifty or sixty fathoms of iron cable, he could could see nothing. Jacob, he said imploringly, Oh, Jacob Marley, tell me more. Be comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give, the Rose replied. Yeah, it comes from other regions, Ebenezer Scrooge. It's conveyed by other ministries to other hands of man. Nor can I tell you what 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 I would. A very little more has all permitted me. I cannot rest, I cannot stay, I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit would never walk beyond our counting house, like me. In, my, in life my spirit never roamed before the narrow limits of our money-changing hull, and weary journeys lie before me. I have it, Scrooge, having became thoughtful, to place hands in his breeches' pockets, pondering on that, what the ghost has said, he did so now, but without lifting his eyes or getting off his knees. You must have been very slow. Must have been very slow about it, Jacob. Scrooge observed in business-like manner, through the, the humility and the different difference. Slow? The ghost repeated. Seven years dead, Smith Scrooge, and travelling all the time. The whole time, said the ghost. No, rest, peace, instant, instant torture, remorse. You fly, travel fast, Scrooge. On the wings of the wind, replied the ghost. You might have got over a great quality of ground in seven years, said Scrooge. The ghost on hearing this set up upon set up another cry and tranked its chains so hideously in a dead silence at the night that the world would could would could be justified in getting it for a nuisance. Oh, Captain Bond and double iron, cried the phantom. Fun. But to know that ages of innocence, incessant and labour, we immortal cruel creatures, for this earth must pass into eternity, for the good on which is successful, is all developed, not to be known in any Christian spirit, working kindly in a little spear, whatever it may be, will find immortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness, not to know that was no space, regard can make amends for me, one that opportunity which use. Yet such was I. Oh, such was I. But you always were a good man of business, Jacob, felt it through to new. Now began to pray to this to himself. Business, cried the ghost, wringing his hands again. Mankind was my business, the common welfare of my business. Charity, mercy, providence, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade or put a drop of water in a comprehensive ocean. In my business, he held up his chain at arm's length, as if there was a cause of all the unwilling veiling grief. I flung it heavily upon the ground again. As for this time of robbing years, the said, I suffer most. 
Why did I walk through the crowds of fellow beings, my eyes turned down and never raised from that blessed star which led the white men to board the boat? Were you their poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the spectre coming on this way and began to sink with expectancy. He may, said the ghost, my time is nearly gone. I will, said Scrooge. Scrooge, but don't be hard upon me. Don't be flowery, Jacob. Pray, how how is it I appear before you in shape? You see, you can see. I may tell you, I am I have sent, sat invisible beside you many and many, many and many a day. It was an agreeable idea, not an agreeable idea. Scrooge shivered and wiped his perspiration from his brow. There's no light to part of part of present penance. Pursued the ghost. I am here tonight to warn you. You will have a chance to stop hope of escaping your fate. A chance to hope of procuring Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me, said Scrooge. Thank you. You will be haunted, resumed the ghost. By free spirits. Scrooge's countenance fell almost as low as the ghost had done. Is, is that a chance? And hope you mentioned Jacob, he demanded. A third true voice. It is. I think I'm rather not, said Scrooge. Without any visits, said Scrooge. You cannot hope to shun the path of trade. Respect them first tomorrow, when the bell is told one. Can I tell them all at once? Can I take them all at once? And hurry all over, over. Jacob, hated Scrooge. Set the second on the second night. Next night, at the same hour, the third upon the night. Next night, when his last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate, look at me, look to see me no more, and look that your namesake, you remember that it was passed between us. When it was said that these words, the spectre shook his wrapper from the table and bound it round its head as before. Scrooge knew this by the smart sound of his teeth were made when the jaws were brought together by the bandage. He ventured to raise his eyes again and found his supernatural visitor confronting him in a recommend attitude. Its end of its chain wound, wound over, and about its arm. The apparition walked backwards from him, with him from him. At every step he took, the window raised a little, so that when the inspector reached it, it was open wide. He began Scrooge's approach, which he did. When they were within two paces of each other, Marley's ghost held its hand up, warning him to come no nearer. Scrooge stopped. Not so much as obedience, innocent surprise, fear. For one raising a hand, he become sensible, confused notes of noises in the air, and incoherent sounds of lamination, regrets, wailings, and inexplicable, soulful, and self-accuracy inspectors. After listening for a moment, enjoying the mournful dirge, and floated out upon the bleak, dark nights. Scrooge followed to the window. Desperate in his curiosity, he looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and never, and harassed haste and moaning as he went. Every one of them wore trains like Molly's ghosts. Some few, they might be guilty governments, were linked together. None were free. Many were, had been personally known to Scrooge in their lives. He had been quite familiar with an old ghost in a white waistcoat with much just iron safe attached to his tinkle who died pitifully at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant, whom he saw upon it on 
the door set. The misery with all the was them all them all of was clearly they sought to interfere for good in human matters and lost power the power forever. Where creatures and where creatures faded in the mist, the mist shrouded them, he could not tell. But they and their spirits faded together. And the night became as it had been when he walked home. Scrooge closed the door window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. He double-checked it and locked it with his own hands and bolts were undisturbed. He tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable. And being from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigue of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or dull conversion of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, much which of his repose, went straight to bed without undressing, and fell asleep upon the instant.